This is What's the Story with Kim Burns, and I'm here with Tom Nelson. Tom. Hey, Kim. How are you today? I'm great. Hey, Tom. What's the latest? Heathcote Hill. That's where we're starting. We're going to kind of start in the present and go backward. Heathcote Hill, your band. Heathcote Hill is my band with uh, the amazing um, Megan Percara Herspring uh, singing, and we just had a great day in the studio yesterday in Harlem. In Harlem? And we recorded... Uh, rhythms, bass and drums, and some vocals for three new songs, and it was a fantastic day. Which number album is this? this is, we're going to put out an EP in, hopefully by March, mid-March. Um, we got some great airplay with our record Everlasting in the Fall. It was wonderful. And now the machine says the next thing you do is you need to follow up in the spring. So we're kind of rushing out an EP. That's kind of the problem with music, right? you got to keep pumping it out. Well, it's a good problem to have. I mean, we were thrilled to get on the radio. I mean, it was it's great to be interviewed, but it's wonderful when they just pick your songs and they don't know you like you know me a little bit. They right. don't know us from all... You mean they actually like the song? Well, they actually like the songs, <laughs> and we got some great airplay, and our radio promoter, uh, Peter, um, said it. we did pretty well for a couple of nobodies from A fairly new Westchester. band. Yeah, it's a fairly a new, new band. New band, independent release, no record company, just right. us figuring right. it out. Is independent release, is that fairly common? More and more, as people like us kind of have the technology and the ability to like pursue self-publishing. Our yes, self-publishing. Right. That's exactly exactly what it is. Right. And successes happen in the kind. Of, the nice thing about getting the airplay is we got airplay on the kind of college and community radio stations where those kinds of things still percolate up from. So we're kind of hopeful that we had a nice first. A batch of successes and it's rolling along you've gotten to play in some significant venues like garcia's in, at the capitol garcia's at the capitol or back at the bitter end this april um it's just been great it's been exciting all right we're gonna since it's what's the story mm -hmm. that's the this new podcast that i hope everybody out there is listening to to find out about what people's personal journeys are so they get to a point where they're saying, okay, I've had this long career, but now I'm going to start releasing albums. Right. But you started in advertising, Tom. I started in advertising. I started in fifth grade drawing cartoons for charity. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and, um, and I was always the person that uh, did the posters for whoever was running for student president. I was never running for student president. <laughs> but you could make a great caricature <laughs> I, of your friends. But I made good posters, and then it kind of all... I played in bands in high school and studied advertising at Michigan State and got into the advertising business as a writer. So where, where was your first job? Uh, I grew up in Detroit, and my first job was at the unpronounceable Darcy McManus and Macius in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, working on the Mr. Goodwrench account. I remember Mr. Goodrunch. I don't remember Goodrunch. the agency. Are they still around? Um, they got merged and merged and merged. They became Darcy Macius, Benton and Bowles. And then they got sucked up into the whirlwind. I don't even recognize the names anymore. 
Did you stay in Detroit for a while? Uh, I was in Detroit for a couple of years. Um, I always wanted to get to New York for some reason. Um, Everybody thinks they want to get to New York. It took me the longest <laughs> time. So I, I interviewed in New York in a horrible polyester suit with all these bad car ads from Detroit. Oh, and no. They were like, go away. So a friend of mine said, go to Chicago. You, I didn't know. They're any, a little gentler there. I, I should know. No, they were. And you're from Chicago. Was I, I was only better because I'd been kicked around in New York. Chicago was just as brutal. Well, but it's brutal because they have such high-level ad agencies, right? I mean, some of the best. They're really good, and and it was I, I've got I've got fantastic interview stories, um, but um, I was lucky enough to get a job. And uh, what was the favorite campaign you worked on? I mean, there had to have been many. Um. I worked for 10 years on UPS, and I did some great commercials, and the one that a lot of people remember is the driver going from town to town trying to find a guy named McKenzie, and it turns out everyone in the town is named McKenzie, so they're sending him down the road. He goes into the bar, McKenzie, and they oh. <laughs> So did you, you did mostly TV ads versus print, or uh, both? Both, all these, I mean, you start, it's, there's a whole, there was a whole packing order back when there were media companies and ad agencies, and you do the sale ads and the dealer kits and uh, and you do some radio and some print and the goal is to to do a lot of television and on big names and well now obviously ad agencies are still around do they still play such a significant role in promoting brands or are there other are there other ways that companies do that um, one of the things that happened in my career is when I started, the big agencies were like Sears Roebuck, and they offered everything. They had all the different departments. And over the course of my career, it got broken down into separate. The media planning and buying companies were standalone, and creative ad agencies were alone, which actually helped us start our ad, ad agency. They just said, if you can be good at creative and the rest, that's all we need you to be. And and also it, became a time of specialists, uh, you know. So today there's a creative agency and a media agency and a social media agency. And a, and which is all. different than a PR agency, And there's example. PR agencies, too. I, would have, I met Lisa. She worked in the media department, my wife. I would not meet her today because it would be a separate company and we would never know each other. We would never cross in the halls. So why did that happen? Oh, clients just wanted to be able to pick and choose. Specialize? Yeah, same way Sears... You know, it's going out of business and the, you know, specialist, you know. Right. Uh, you know, chewing gum is us. I mean, that's, there's a hat store in Brooklyn that just sells hats, you know, like specialists. Mm -hmm. so. so at what point did you start your own agency? And, and did you feel like you needed to do it or, you, or you, it was just time or? Uh, I moved to New York to work on BMW and UPS and a lot of really cool things and they sent me to Canada to open an agency in Toronto. We had a great three years there. And I came back and the agency had merged into it, been bought out by a giant agency. And I was like the creative director of this big monstrosity. And yeah, it was cool. And then uh, of course I got fired when it <laughs> Of course you did, Tom. <laughs> well, no, it's that's why they pay you the money. <laughs> they say, sit in the chair till somebody throws the pie that knocks you in the face, that knocks you off the stool, and the next guy will sit in the chair. It's just that's the kind of job it is. And I was fine. It was great. And stupid of stupid, I partnered up with a friend who'd left the company, and we did a project for what became wingspanbank.com at Bank One, and they asked us to open an agency and launch their bank, and it was kind of cool, and 
And that was the start of the internet era. And we were so what happened? I mean, the, the internet changed everything. What, everything. What, what was happening from your end with the internet? I mean, all of us were experiencing it differently, but obviously there was unlimited abilities to, to create ads, but how about the, was there money? That's what the whole first internet explosion was. People were trying to to establish these stakeholders in the future where they could that in the future make some money and they didn't know how to make money and so it all blew up. Nobody knew how to make money. Right. And so the second time around is the people that have learned how to sell whatever they're selling. And, uh, and I think social media has helped to push it and now the internet is big enough to push video over it and you know, right. podcasts and it's you can do stuff and sell it. But it changes drastically the way that the um, consumer sees this information. Oh, so yeah. if you're an ad guy and you want to reach someone like myself who lives in a town outside of New York, has kids, how are you doing that? Because you're not doing it uh, through a specific product per se. I mean, you're on the Internet. So it's very complicated. And I don't think people understand how it works where if I, let's say, go to... Neiman Marcus because it pops up, right. then that links to somebody else trying to sell me something. I think the internet kind of inverted the old way of doing things. And I worked in advertising and I knew friends and family who worked in PR. And it's a very different thing whether you're paying for the space or you're trying to be interesting your way into the space. And I think the social media world is more like PR and it's you find out what people are interested in you find a way to be in that space and get them to do a story on you or a movie or click this we want to share this with you something right and so people who are interested in guitars will find a guitar store that wants to talk to it so that's not how I work in advertising right to me is closer to the inversion that my father-in-law used to do when he worked when, for GM, which is he used to do that GM Futurorama in the 50s, and people wanted to find out about the future, and they went to the event, and then they found out about GM too. And so he more thought about how to be interesting to the kinds of people he wanted to reach, as opposed to find a way to... Um, jump the person you're trying to reach. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So going back to uh, the creative agencies or when you were doing drawings and things of that nature, obviously that still exists. Creative agencies exist. Yes. But they're going to uh, a specific customer, let's right. say, whoever it might be, going back to BMW. Right. And BMW is working with a creative agency to right. create their TV ads, what have you. Then it, they also happen to put that information on the Internet, which then attracts people through another system. Right. I mean, it's sort of different yeah. levels, right? And it's also reduced the need for those kind of brandy advertising things because you're not, you know, if you're sponsoring a big tennis tournament or a football championship you need an ad to say that we're Mercedes for 30 seconds and you want it to be right. fabulous but there are fewer and fewer of those kinds of needs and there's more needs on the internet for Kim Burton's talks about the new Mercedes Benz 
you know, like they want, they'd rather have, you know, put their money in a podcast with you than interesting a fraction of it, you know, because it's really expensive. Advertising, filmmaking, and advertising at that level is still really expensive because it's that? all custom handmade and it still has to be fabulous. Right, right. I mean, people tune it out and people tune it out anyway. But it but, has to be more and more fabulous. It, like the stuff on television is nuts. It's like feature films. People that used to work for us are now working on projects for six months or a year for the special effects and the celebrities, and it's like, it's, it's cool. It's a high-level production. It's more closer to making a movie now. For Interesting. Some, for the best stuff. Right, right. The crap's always the crap. So did you watch Mad Men? Um, How close was that to your experience when that program was on? I liked the advertising parts of the show. I didn't like the psychopath parts of the show. Um, but but I, that's what everybody else liked, Tom. I know, but I don't like what everybody else <laughs> likes. I, what it did remind me of is I started in advertising in the 1977 in Detroit, and it was the sound of ringing phones and telexes and teletypes and high heels and, and people talking and yelling and cigar smoke. And it, that, I, so I caught the tail end of the madman thing. So... And it was it was like revisiting where you started. There was something exciting though about the business world of that era and and just past that. Oh, yeah. I think people were in it together, whether they were sniping at each other or not. It was right. still producing something, right. and I, I think a lot of people sort of missed out on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there was. A lot of the Mad Men thing was the TV era, you know, and television commercials and how that got into our lives. And it, so it replicates the Internet era that we've kind of gone through and the way it changed things. Let me ask you, if we are watching TV on our computers and we're watching TV sometimes on our TVs and sometimes we're watching video and TV on our phones, are ads duplicated on all three mediums or are they specialized and different for... You now have to version all this stuff through every all the different sizes and different uses and everything. You do? Yeah. And so that's costly. Or do, do you think they go into it thinking, okay, well, this is... No, it is really costly. We did a project for Thomson Reuters in uh, eight languages in 15 very individual markets, and it was... Uh, the versioning alone. Today they have independent companies that do the versioning and we worked with an independent company that used to be the department no one would talk to, you know. <laughs> go, go talk to Lou. Lou will help you figure out what they need for that. We know? don't get it. We don't <laughs> now get it. it's a company. Hello, I'm Lewis. What can I do for you? I'll get back to you. That's fabulous. <laughs> so that's that sort of leads into my next question, which is how do you think the United States differs from, let's say, another progressive country, uh, England, Germany, uh, places where advertising is important. Uh, do you think that we operate at, at, at a different level, different pace, or is it now universal? I think it's now global. It is. It's still... It's still American companies that are setting the pace in the business world. And driving it, everything. It's just particularly, you know, they're still the leaders in a lot of the big fields of financial services and pharma and uh, 
Farmer, for sure. Airlines and stuff like that. And those companies, you know, America has more than its proportion of. And I think the American ethos has perme permeated the, more of the world. And most of my career was the rest of the world coming to find a way to the party. And I think they are. Everyone is now. Interesting. So the, the farmer commercials, I think that there's such a proliferation of them because old people watch TV. <laughs> Am I wrong, Tom? It can't move quick enough. <laughs> to turn off the, <laughs> the TV, sack. The TV's going, don't get up. You've had a tough life. That's right. Oh, good. Play me another pharma commercial. Tell me about Amusemusall. I mean, they, they really are endless. Oh, it's just... And, it's, and you, like sheep, we sit there and we don't move. That's where... Well, some people click away, but I, not not... Quickly enough. But I think we're all trained to turn it off, but it, it is, you're certainly swimming in a lot of it. So uh, what's your reaction to something like Amazon, which is just filled with ads and is making how many billions off of advertising? Well, I'll tell you, the funniest thing about Amazon is we set our release for our record, our Everlasting, to come out on September 15th. And I'm th you're sitting there going, I hope I did everything right, that it actually works and it's not scrambled well, sure. or backwards or invisible or, you know, <laughs> can't hear it or I screwed What You know, there's so many ways to fail. And I'm waiting, and suddenly I get a thing in my mailbox, like September 1st. Boop! Don't miss the release of Everlasting by Heathcote Hill. Pre-release sale, save 20 save 20% now if you pre-order Everlasting by Heathcote Hill. That's fabulous. I'm, now how does that work? I'm going they just got to notice that it's going to be it's it um, the among it's coming the up 500,000 things you're going to be selling next month and they go, "Hey Lou, send out a pre-sale <laughs> announcement." <laughs> Yeah, but that's great for you. And it's just you're sitting there going, wow, they're just so, they're just so. They're so progressive. The, they're so ahead they're of the so, beat. They, they are, though, uh, with everything and every. If we're going to have to sell it in two weeks. Why not sell it now? Why, why not do it? Yeah. While we're selling five million other things. Yeah, that, well, we can't even go down the path of Amazon. It's just way too, way too complicated. But. You, when you do do that, let's talk about dropping albums. And I know that on my radio show, we've talked about it before. I still sort of don't get it. I know it's complicated, but at the same time, it's easy and accessible. Right. So let's quickly talk about getting to this point. You have this great band. You've done this. And when you first wanted to get that album out there, you were scratching your head, or did you get it? The path is pretty common it's just, it's what you said it's self-publishing and there's a couple companies that have made it really easy and you upload your tracks and you upload your art and it's as good or as crummy as you want to make it or pay for it and they did a beautiful 12-page booklet that we designed and photography and uh and, and now who did and, who did all that and it's it's a uh, disc makers, and they're down in New Jersey. And really? I, I drove down on a beautiful August afternoon and got five boxes and driving them back on the freeway. It was really cool. And they produce all that for you. And they make all that, and then the five, the rest, the stuff that you sent to them to make the album goes to another company called CD Baby, I think, and, and I think they're related, if not divisions of, and uh, that's they... On September 15th, you set the date, September 15th, 12 a.m. or whatever, you know, right. midnight. 
and you check the boxes that you want them to send it to. Yeah, you know, send it to Apple, send it to Amazon, send it to, and there's like 30, 50 choices. And all those bugs you don't like, well, like what's Kokoru or blah, 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 or Rococo or, you know, like, and it sends it out all over the, you know. And you duplicate, you duplicate the quality of what you've produced in the studio. Yes, yeah, that's CD quality, and, uh, and it's really good. So what happens next? You have the, the new album coming out. Uh, these are original songs. Yeah. You've written many of them. I've written the, the five, we recorded five new songs I wrote, and Megan sounds great. And, and Where are you getting your song ideas from? They usually start with melodies, like playing things over and over again until there's something that I hear a melody in my head, and there's usually phrases that I pick up or something occurs, and it's like it becomes a five-note. <laughs> Give me a song title in five syllables, you know, or, you know, with an up. There's, for ups and downs, there's names for all that stuff, but you wanted to go butt it up up. And you're looking for a phrase that fits that. So I would be nervous as a songwriter or a musician that I was repetitive. Yeah. How do you avoid that? Um, I don't know. I mean, because the, the, obviously the first people that come to mind are like the Beatles, who covered every type of song. And you listen to these albums and you think, how in the world could they have been so ingenious to have constantly sounded like they reinvented themselves. I think a lot of that has to do with them poking each other in working in groups, which is why I like working with Megan and working with the terrific people we work with. You poke each other to push in, are you sure? I mean, well, well, I could do that instead. Would you like it in dark gray or light gray? Do you like it if it goes up at the end or if it just holds it now? Should right. I go bang, 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 or should it just take the day off? Right, you know? yep. And People can go, well, how, what if you took the day off and then went bangity-bang? And you go, okay, and you figure it out. And, and um, So that's the most fun about the, quote, jamming part of it. But what about the self-indulgence? That's what I would be nervous about. Because I think it happens in writing. I think it happens in all sorts of arts where you have to sort of make sure you stay out of your own head too much. Um. If I ever write a blog, there will be a chapter that that will be. It's really really easy to tell a lie with a guitar in your hands. Ah, go on. I will always love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there with you forever. Are you? Go, I will always need you. There'll never be anyone but you. And then. And then, yeah. <laughs> You know, that was one of the songs on our first record, Love Will Only Wreck Your Life, and it was almost like a drug commercial. Like, list the side effects of love. You're going to get a rash. Not you aren't going to be able to go right. to bed. It's not, not going to be, your good. friends are going to say, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's going to cost a lot of money. And when not you, recommended. When you list all the things that are side effects, it's not really that attractive. But that it, uh, I think you just, I try to look at these things and say, do I... Do I like what I've made here? Does it seem fakey or cheap or easy or goofy or embarrassing? And you just like, I don't know, probably too self-protective. Are you thinking of your audience at all? Because I know, again, that writers sometimes do that and it, it, it can help 
sometimes to think, are they getting my message? There's no question that there are just topics I don't explore because... Politics? How are you doing with politics now? I've got some songs that are vaguely political, but I don't... Not beating anyone over the head? No, I mean, the, the, the title, the song Reinforcements on the first record was actually kind of political, but we kind of chose not to do it because we wanted to learn how to present our songs in a way that was entertaining, not... Making a statement not about something. Not a Molotov cocktail. I mean, right. we're just learning how to play these songs. And, you know, we, right. we just said, let's just take... First of all, the first record was a little dark, a little... So let's take the fun songs. I think it was a little moody. <laughs> yeah, there you go, moody. And so we tried to take the fun songs and build our, for our, you know, learning how to be a band around that. We're playing 45-minute sets at places like the Bowery Electric or the Bitter End. Let's take the more lively, energetic stuff, like I yeah. should leave you, but I won't. Like right, you don't want people just standing at the bar they, doing they, chats because they they're so sad. I read the Times this morning. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I read that too. Yeah, can we move on now? Yeah, right. Get, get to your funny songs about They're, the side effects of love. And well, and they like to people like to go out and actually <laughs> yeah, be, but, be a little uplifted. But. Yeah, well, that we're probably not their band, but uh, I don't know. So I, I've that, seen that, you at Garcia's. It's pretty fun. Thank you. And we're we're trying we're trying to uh, have it be fun because it's it's hard to play original music for people. People want to go out and they want to be entertained. And who's the band? And they want to That's know. Right. Oh, oh, it's a Doors tribute band. I love the Doors. That you play my favorite song. And that, that, that's right. most people are used to dialing up the music they like. And occasionally, you've played a couple of covers. Yeah, we play some covers. Uh, there, uh, Megan has a great bluesy, bendy voice, and she, so she sing, sings things like uh, "Angel from Montgomery" beautifully. We we do a. We found a, like an unplugged cover of Don't Dream It's Over, that 80s synthy song, and it's really pretty when you just slow it down with an acoustic nice. guitar. Nice, nice. And so, and I was against covers, and Megan was for them, and the, a lot of people, number of, some smart people said, you need to do some things where people have a way to evaluate you. Like, I know that song, and I like the way they did it, so they but must I also, be... But I also think if you're at a venue and you're listening to Heathcote Hill and you don't know the music because it's new or you haven't heard the album, and then something does come up like Angel from Montgomery, uh, not only how well you do it, but it sort of brings people back, maybe out of their conversation and back to right. the band, and then maybe get them on the next song. Right. That's your song. Well, that's exactly that's how we're trying to work it, and you know, and uh, it's it's been fun. It's been people have been great. We've gotten some nice compliments and nice feedback, and uh, enough to keep going and keep pushing ahead. So, when you were in fifth grade drawing cartoons, did you think you'd end up with a band at? Uh, I, I didn't want to say at your age, but at your age, I first of all, I have thought back. And at no moment in my life have I ever, ever envisioned being this old. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not this old. <laughs> I'm kidding. I remember going to CYO camp as like a nine-year-old kid and thinking that 22-year-old married guy with the beard was like, I'll never be that old. That's awful. Now, I, I have to agree with you. But see, that's the whole point of what's the story. That's the whole point of getting the stories from people who have actually 
gone through the careers and then gotten to the stage, instead of sitting in front of the TV and watching pharma commercials, are out doing something like creating music. Well, it's interesting you ask about fifth grade because Lisa's mom's fifth grade teacher and she loved that age because she thought that's where kids were waking up and catching on to what was going to take them into the rest of their lives. And she thought that was a cool process to be around and feed. And it is. And it is. And um, I, was, I was selling Peanuts cartoons for the missions or something. And it, I, was, I was drawing things and coming up with ideas or like, the project in France, I'm making the big art thing out of rice, I don't, you know, like somehow, it's like I was always in that. Well, I'll, you're sort of creating it. your identity. Yeah, and right? so I just, I liked being in that space and having ideas. Well, and I think what's interesting is that if you look at people who are, are still chugging along and doing stuff, there's always a grain of uh, their childhood or their childish persona in what they do today. I, I think it's true. It's just no, a matter I, of whether you b build it and make it something worthwhile. I'll I, I tell you, I have to bring up this because it's just, it, and it is, your question makes me think, what I was doing in fifth grade was watching Bewitched and, you know, Darren or whatever his name would, you know. The first Darren get, or the get second a, Darren. Either one <laughs> would get into this gym at work and everyone would pressure him, give him crap, and then Larry Tate would be all over them. Love Larry Tate. And, and then at the last minute, either Darren would have a brilliant brainstorm to save the day, and I go, and I literally watched that show and said, I can do that. That's great. And look at his cute blonde wife. I know, see, and you have one of those, too. And so now you kind of look and you kind of go like, I was Darren one, and I was Darren two, and I have... <laughs> The cute blonde a wife. Beautiful wife, blonde wife who makes everything magical happen. <laughs> I have a magic closet where sweaters and socks appear, and it's like, wow. Uh, but yeah, magical. And it, like, it's kind of like, a, like a, I'm just following the instructions I saw on, uh, I think that was ABC in, when I was in fifth grade. I think it's wonderful. Advertising. All right, so let's wrap this up, Tom Nelson, your story by telling everybody about the album, when it's coming out, how they can get it, and you're playing downtown soon? Um, our current album out is Everlasting, and it's on CD Baby and Spotify and anywhere your music platform. Just ask for, look for Everlasting by Heathcote Hill. And hopefully this April we'll have a, a, a new EP. I, working title is uh, Save the Ones You Love. Oh, nice. Yeah, and um, I'm really excited about it. I, I think. These songs are great. Megan sounds great, and uh, and we happen to have a gig at the Bitter End on Saturday, April thirteenth. All right, so, so planning hopefully, ahead. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll have a new EP with us to play. Sounds wonderful. Tom Nelson, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you, Kim. This is what's the story with Kim Burns. Thanks for listening.